For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives Timothy three pointers to help him deal with the opposition that he faces. You see, there's great insight here for every Christian who's trying to serve the Lord. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, The Power of Kindness. So uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we made it halfway through. We're going to pick up where we left off because that's what Calvary chapels do, verse by verse chapter by chapter, and we left off somewhere around verse 19, but we'll pick up a little bit earlier for context, but not before asking the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we just want to pause and, and clear our minds and ask the Holy Spirit to bring a focus from above, to hear your living word that's sharper than a two-edged sword and able to get down deep inside of us where, where it counts, where eternal spiritual things are happening. So your word is alive and living and active and so useful to comfort us, instruct us, and to correct us. Have your way with us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. All right. So we did uh, leave off there at the half of Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. Uh, where here's the context. Paul was, uh, has been rearrested. Uh, that great man of God is now on death row. He's in prison there at the Mamertine prison there in Rome. Nero is on the throne and not very happy with Christianity. Uh, the claim that Jesus was Lord and not him uh, kind of got under his skin. And also that men everywhere needed to repent of their sins and call on the name of the Lord. And the, the word repent has never really been well received by the world uh, at large. And so these are the, some of the things that caused the Roman Empire to crack down now. And by cracking down, what they did was take the ringleader, the famous, the Billy Graham of his day, the Apostle Paul, toss him into prison, and then uh, sentence him to die. But before he's executed, he's able to eke out one last letter that we call 2 Timothy to encourage Timothy, who he's left in Ephesus, to pastor there and in a very rough situation, surrounded by false teachers and heresies and uh, church problems. Uh, in his letter, though, he says that he has fought the good fight, he has kept the faith, uh, he has finished the race, and he wants Timothy and all the young Timotheas as well, because Timothy is you. Timothy is me. The letter is to us, and the letter says, come hell or high water, Timothy, stay the course. That's the overarching theme of... 2 Timothy uh, in its entirety, but we're picking up here in the second chapter. And so to set us up, it's not just the Roman persecution that's making it hard to be a Christian. I mean, you could lose your job or lose your life, lose your livelihood. But also within the church, there were problems because teachers 
leaders, former leaders within that own, their own churches had gone sideways and gone running after heretical ideas and were splitting the church and teaching things that they ought not to teach and opposing Paul and opposing Timothy and causing all kinds of struggles. And so that's the context that this letter is trying to encourage this 30-year-old man this young pastor, to stay the course in spite of Roman persecution and in spite of the false teachers within the church that were just wreaking havoc. And so it's a very fine letter for us to encourage us because what Christian doesn't face opposition of all kinds? It's a letter that you turn to when you're feeling overwhelmed and inadequate and like uh, the bad guy is winning. This is the letter you turn to when you want to hear God say to you, listen, I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control or a sound mind. Same idea there. This is the epistle for you. And it's the epistle for me. So after uh, Paul here in, in, in the second chapter uh, has been saying, God has given you everything you need. He who demands and calls also enables. And he says, Timothy, now it's up to you to use diligence and effort to cooperate with what God has already given you. And so he has told him in here in the beginning of the chapter, he says, think of yourself as a hardworking farmer who labors patiently, even though he doesn't see a lot of progress, he's still dedicated because he wants to see a big harvest. He says, here's another metaphor. Have the single focus of a soldier who just lives to serve his, and please his commanding officer. He says, you do that, Timothy, and you'll be good. He says, have the discipline of Olympic athlete who's shooting for the gold. So, so all of that discipline and that training and that focus, he says, you gotta be like that, Timothy. So, and, and he wraps up by just saying, listen, remember Jesus in all of this. Remember that God became a man on your behalf and suffered agony on the cross so that you could live forever and have your sins taken away. He says, work hard, but be inspired by constantly remembering Jesus. That brings us to the last part. Now where he's gonna give Timothy now three practical pointers for dealing with opposition within the church. And uh, those practical pointers can be seen in the following paragraphs. Let's read together. I'll read out loud. Starting at verse 14, though we have covered much of this. Glasses. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. They're making the, the typo type so smaller. Keep reminding them of these things. These things is what I just gave you in context. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who needs not be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. 
Now, here's new ground for us. We pick up at 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now, Timothy, in a large house, there are articles or utensils, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the, uh, on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Wow, so there you have the three paragraphs and there are three pointers that I've pulled out to help corral our thoughts. And so I would say from verses 14 to 19, which we already covered, but we're gonna just review it quick. Uh, I would say don't become entangled. Don't become entangled in useless conversations that go nowhere. Number two, don't become defiled. In verses 20 through 23, don't, don't defile yourself in, by in engaging in sinful things that disqualify you from the honor of being used by God. So don't get defiled. Don't be entangled. And lastly, don't become bitter. Don't get hard-hearted dealing with the, with the opposition and unbelievers because you will short-circuit your effectiveness for the Lord by stooping to their level. And so we're gonna take a look at that and we're gonna walk through the verses. And so uh, the first one here, uh, don't become entangled. Uh, we talked about this. If you're interested in a detailed sermon on just verses 14 through 18, you can check it out at the app or online. Um, avoid unproductive conversations with unreasonable people because it's of no value. So Timothy says, first of all, uh, use discernment before you engage somebody. Figure out, is this going to be a helpful conversation or a waste of two hours? Uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus, <laughs> amen? <laughs> Hymenaeus and Philetus weren't open to the truth. They were only interested in disseminating their own ideas. They're not asking questions. They're not seeking answers. They don't consider what you consider sacred, sacred. And so have the wisdom not to answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him, says the Proverbs. And so um, there's no interest, if there's no interest no seeking truth and no openness. There's no conversation necessary. Now, Jesus put it this way. If you do go ahead and engage somebody like that, he says, listen, you put the gospel, God's word, 
in a vulnerable place to be twisted and spat upon and disrespected. He says, you're, you're putting the gospel out there. You should have known better. There were signs. You don't need to put the gospel out there when somebody's disinterested or treating it with disrespect. And he said, furthermore, not only you put the gospel in a vulnerable place, you put yourself in a vulnerable place because they'll turn and then attack you. And that is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, if you want the uh, reference there. So Timothy needs not to be engaging these people, but he's surrounded by them. And listen to how the Bible describes these guys. They were former leaders in the church. They're older than he is. They've been in the church longer. He's 33 years old and he's sitting and now he's the senior pastor and they're causing all kinds of trouble and they're winning. Everybody's following them. So he says, these are the men who are, uh, quote, upsetting entire households, teaching things they ought not to teach, destroying the faith of some. And he says, don't get involved in debating them and their various foolish theologies. Paul's saying, have the wisdom not to get on the merry-go-round with them. You know what's going to happen if you do? You're going to get really dizzy and want to throw up. All right, that's, the, that's what happens when I go on a merry-go-round or on Space Mountain, thank you very much. And I went on that one time and I had to lay down for two hours. Oh, it wasn't Space Mountain. It was Star Wars. That Star Wars ride where you strap in and visually you're being like that thing, that ruined my whole day, you know. And he says, you really don't want to do that with theological vain babblings as the King James calls it. So uh, here's the new ground now. We've reached verse 19. Um, but no worries, Timothy. Here's, here's what it says, and here's your verse. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, two, two inscriptions. The Lord knows those who are his, Timothy, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. All right, this is a great verse to stop and talk about. Now, what is what he's saying to Timothy, who's surrounded? He's saying, Timothy, listen, buddy, the truth prevails. God's people, God's church, God's word, God's gospel is going to stand. It's unshakable. It's immovable. Why? Because it has its origin and, and sustenance and maintenance in God Almighty. So quit being so afraid. Yeah, the teaching is spreading like gangrene. Yes, people are hearing what they want to hear. And they're very popular, these teachers. And, and a lot of people are flocking to them because they're saying, hey, I got a little, scratch, a little itch here. And they scratch where their ears are itching. He says, but listen, buddy, you're on the foundation. And what did Jesus say about the foundation on the church? He said, the, the powers of hell itself will not prevail against the church because it's rooted and grounded in who? God, the same one who speaks and makes planets and is part-time, you know? <laughs> Come on. So you see a lot of people abandoning the faith. He says, Timothy, there's a foundation. There are two inscriptions on the foundation and you're looking at them. He's going to use an incident in the Old Testament to describe what the foundation is like. Now, back in the day, in the ancient times, when you had a foundation, 
that the owner would put his seal on it, and then he'd write a little motto or two to describe the purpose of the edifice, why the building is there, something like that that just explains this, what this building's doing here. So Paul says, there are two mottos from the Lord, written by the Lord on this foundation, Timothy, for your particular problem there at the church in Ephesus. And so, number one, inscription, he says, Timothy, the Lord knows those who are his. Now, if you're looking in your Bible, some of them have an asterisk that has number 16, because Paul is tying what's happening with the false teachers and the opposition at Timothy's church to Korah's rebellion. And so he's, here's, here's what happened, if you can't remember. Korah and a, and a dude named Dathan and 250 rebellious leaders went to Moses while they were in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And, and here's what they said, reading from um, number 16 for you. They, they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron, and he said to them, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of us, and the Lord is with us all. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. He knew it was coming. (laughs) He felt bad for them. Uh, Then he said to Korah and all his followers, in the morning, the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, separated to God, and he will have that person come near. That's the reference, how it's tied. Now, here's, here's what he's saying. Timothy, God knows you. He knows your name. He didn't lose your address. You see, you hear all the slander. These guys are trying to undermine your ministry. They've taken half the church with their silly theologies, right? But you know what? God knows who is who in the whole chaos. And if he knows your name, he has called you there. You are safe and you shall stand and the truth will prevail. The truth will prevail. That's really what he's saying. You know, Paul's not the only one who ties the situation of false teachers in the New Testament church to Korah's rebellion. Jude does as well. Jude Jesus' half-brother, Jude verse 11, because there's only one chapter, it, it says this, woe to these false teachers, they're following in the same destructive path as Korah. You see, so he's saying, listen, Timothy, did it work out with Moses? There were 250 of them. They came and they said, hey, Moses, listen, we're all holy. There's, there's none of this in God's kingdom. And, you know, just follow us instead of Moses. Did that go well for them? He said, of course not, Timothy, because God knows Moses. God called him. And Moses knows him. And Timothy, you've got to stop being afraid. And look to God and know he knows you. And Timothy, if he's called you to a place and there's any kind of opposition from within or without, Whatever God has called you to do, Timothy or Timothea, and there's always opposition, stop being afraid and feeling so inadequate. He knows you. That's the foundation. He knows you're there. He hasn't lost your address. He's with you, and you're going to stand. That's the point of the first inscription to Timothy. And the second one is really cool. Everyone who confesses 
the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So the two foundation statements on the foundation of God's church, and God's church are made up of God's called out ones. The word for church is ekklesia in the Greek, and it comes from two words that mean called out, called out ones, the gathered ones. And that's frankly quite reason, uh, the reason for the hostility between believers and unbelievers because we don't belong anymore. He's called us out. Now we speak a new language, we do, uh, there's culture shock and we butt heads a lot, right? And so everyone who confesses the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So that's the foundation of the church's motto is, is that, I guess you could put it this way, those who would take comfort in the first inscription must take responsibility for the second. So in other words, Timothy, he knows us and he keeps us safe, first inscription. The second one is we know him and we keep ourselves from sin. So what, what does this have to do with the false teachers in Timothy's situation? He says, well, you can identify who they are. Their lives, they want to stand on the platform. They're filled with pride and greed and uh, sexual immorality. They don't belong. It identifies them and it disqualifies them as teachers. Like Jesus said, you know how to tell them who, who's who? You shall know them by their fruit, by the fruit of their lives. And so that's really the spirit of the second uh, inscription. Everyone who names the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, uh, everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Yeah, Jesus saves us and cleanses us but we also must do our part to turn away from wickedness. And if we don't, you have not been set right with God. Those who have been set right with God must live right before God or it proves that you have not, in fact, been set right with God. Nobody is perfect, but you cannot continue in a sinful lifestyle and say you know the Lord. How do I know that? First John 3, 9 says... Anyone who's born again cannot continue in a sinful lifestyle because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. Well, we all sin and fall short, and if God was taking a record of sinning, who could stand, says the psalmist. However, sinful patterns, sinful lifestyles, that goes away when the Holy Spirit comes in. Or, my friend, uh, we have a problem. It's on the foundation. You call on the name of the Lord, you are being morally transformed or you don't know the Lord. 1 John 2, 4, the man who says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. So Timothy, don't get entangled in conversations and debates that go nowhere and don't panic when you see their apparent success because he knows your name. You're going to stand through this. At the end, God will make a distinction. There'll be sheep on one side and goats on the other, and you will be among the righteous. Uh, now, now, speaking of not, um, uh, speaking of turning from sin, we get to our second point: don't become defiled. You want God to use your life, then you have to keep yourself clean. So here's the scripture that we're looking at. In a large house, and the large house is going to be the church, the living church. 
There's utensils, not only of gold and silver, but wood and clay, some for noble and honorable purposes, some not. If you cleanse yourself from the dishonorable stuff, you'll be an instrument for God, noble purposes, useful to him, prepared for him to use you to do anything good. So you got to flee evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, so we know what this metaphor is all about because Paul has used uh, the metaphor of vessels for people in Romans chapter 9. So we know that what he's talking about in the house are bowls and jars and baskets and containers and tubs and buckets in a house. And he's saying that represents people in the church, all right? And he's going to divide this the utensils into two categories, and those that have honorable purposes and those that don't. Now, the honorable things that he could be thinking about is the royal china, you know, the beautiful crystal. And he says gold and silver platters and things that you take out that have sparkle and associated with joy and festivities and, and honor. You're just like, oh, wow, you're bringing out the good stuff now, Right? That's the honorable vessel because it has honorable things and purposes. And then there's the not so honorable, the trash can. The thing that's used to made of clay and wood that don't, don't survive the fire, you know, they use that for the ash can or, or um, you know, other less dignified jobs. You get the picture? It's in all the commentaries. I didn't want to say the word, but that's what they use it for. All right. Timothy, if you want to be useful always to God, listen to me, buddy. I know you're stressed out. I know you don't have a lot of friends there right now. People are saying stuff about you, hurting your feelings. You wake up all day long. You're doing ministry, 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 ministry. You're tired. You're lonely. You're hurt. You're tempted. And this is when men like you fall. Do you want God to keep using you, bro? Do not defile yourself. Because when you defile yourself, you disqualify yourself. He will will bench you. He will stop using you because God has a penchant for clean instruments and clean tools. He's holy. He's pure. He looks down for a tool that looks sharp and able and ready to go and sparkling and good to go. And he says, that's part of your job to stay undefiled. And how hard is that in a world like ours? It's tough. That takes a lot of work, you see. That's what he's saying. And when he says flee, so here's how you would empty the trash so that you could be a vessel of honor. He says, uh, you know, flee youthful passions. The word there includes anything that a, a, an immature person would do from the sinful nature, like the sinful nature of sexual immorality, impurity, hatred, Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness, partying. That's trash. That's just trash. And he says, you're not, you're not a trash can, Christian. You are a, a silver 
serving tray. You're a, a gold bowl. You're the royal china, man. You're really going to put that inside that container? Come on. Not good. You know what I like? I like how easy it is to go from Ashcan to Royal China. <laughs> Royal China, not down the street. There's a Chinese place called <laughs> Royal China. It's really easy to get there. It's just a half a mile on the left. But <laughs> Where's Adam? It's like his favorite place. <laughs> Thank you for stumbling me. Yeah. Here's a quote, and I'll pass it along to you. The believer who allows the sinful nature to get the best of them with lusts, bad attitudes, selfish desires, bench themselves from the service to God. Rather than useful instruments in the master's hands, they are objects of his chastisement. He needs to correct them and heal them. And the Lord either has them in a holding pattern or has bypassed them altogether, for he has no use for a dirty and unkempt so-called Christian life. And, and so... You know, what I like about this is that he, the Christian life isn't just about stop doing the bad, it's start doing the good, you see? So Christians always define themselves like, well, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that and I don't do this and I don't do that. Well, Buddhism, <laughs> Buddhism, a lot of Buddhists say that, right? So how about the plus side? So he adds that there, doesn't he? He says, not only should you empty the trash, man, but you should pursue righteousness. That word righteousness means to be right with God. So do the things to please God. Do those things. Work at that. And then he goes on to say, growing in your faith, when you're increasing in your love for God and for others, when you're making peace. You see pursue peace there? When you're making peace and not causing trouble. That's when you're an honorable vessel, a desire to be used by God, a vessel of honor. Empty the trash and fill with valuables. Get rid of the pornography. Open the Bible instead. Instead of being all about you, make it all about other people and serve them like Jesus did. Instead of being selfish, be a giver. Instead of making the marriage all about you and your needs, please, may I just spare your spouse right now. <laughs> Stop it. My needs, my needs, my needs, my needs, my needs, my needs, my needs. Whenever I hear that, I know it's a disaster. I have yet to see a married couple come together and sit on my couch and say, we're having so much trouble. We're just trying to outserve one another. <laughs> we fight every day about it. <laughs> but as soon as I hear, they always, he never, she always. And what about me? If Jesus took that attitude, we all be in our sins right now. He didn't come, he's God in a human body. I mean, this is called the bunny trail. He's, he's God in a human body. God in a human body. And he says, I didn't come to be served. 
but I came to serve and to give my life away for others. I'm other-centered, but who are you? Well, I'm not other-centered, I'm me-centered. That's the problem. I just saved you $120 an hour. (laughs) All right, so we have three pointers. One, don't get entangled in debates that go nowhere. Two, don't become defiled and disqualify yourself from great honor of being used by God. And then finally, last two verses, don't become bitter and angry when dealing with those who oppose the gospel, which is so hard to do. Don't have anything to do with these foolish arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel and bicker and squabble, but instead he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not bitter. Those who oppose him, guess what? He's, he's got to gently instruct them and hope that God's going to actually do something good and, and they're going to see the light come to their senses escape the trap of the evil one who's taken them captive to do his will. Well, with the gospel, tone and how you say something is as important as the content of your words. And some people just think that if I'm saying the right thing, then I'm in the right but you're in the wrong and you're doing more damage with your bad attitude with the good words. Because why? You represent God. 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that you are his ambassador. So the ambassador is supposed to represent the one that they have been sent by. And he's kind. Let me read this to you. One of the speakers spoke from this uh, passage Actually, let's see here if I have it. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Why must I be kind in every conversation that I have? It's because I represent him and he's kind to whoever he's talking to. Who did he die for, the good people or the, or the sinners? While we were yet sinners, Christ offered his life. And so uh, I'm intrigued by this. He says, avoid foolish arguments because he knows nothing will get your goat, Timothy. Nothing will push your buttons. Nothing will make you crazy like a foolish or stupid argument. So see it, since, since you must be kind, and the pitfall to kindness is a foolish argument. <laughs> so, so sidestep the argument so you don't end up not being kind. Now, it says there, right there, the Lord's servant and the word is slave, do laws. The, the Lord's slave must not quarrel. Well, let me tell you what that does not mean. It does not mean that we can't have spirited debate if the tone's right. It does not mean that you can't offer something contrary or speak some unpleasant truth. You know, as people see this and then they say, well, I can't say anything now. Oh, no, no, no. You're, you're called to uh, correct and rebuke, but it has to be 
in an edifying, loving tone. Speak the truth in love, says the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit. And that, unless you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to fail. This is a place where I fail a lot. It is so difficult. Oh, come on, they're insulting the Lord, disrespecting the word of God, uh, disrespecting your friends, saying rude things about you and your understanding and your intelligence level, (laughs) right? And you're supposed to be sweet and kind. Yeah, you are. Why? Because Jesus was being nailed to the cross and he was being conciliatory and kind. You can take it. It's important. It's what we're called to do. And so, so uh, here's what quarrel does mean. Here's where you're prohibited. First of all, the word in the Greek means armed combatant. You got it? That's what you're not allowed to do. Like, for example, <laughs> the Lord's coming back. No, he's not. And you're stupid. Uh, and then you say, uh, yes, he is. Is too. Is not. <laughs> It's just a bunch of fairy tales. Oh, well, who are you? One of the seven dwarves? You know, so. (laughs) I've never had a conversation like that. Well, maybe close. Listen, I, you know, this is so hard. He must be kind always. That's why the more conversations that look like this is going to be a nightmare, the better you should not uh, involve yourself because you're going to have to be kind through the whole thing. Kind of. <laughs> Did that make sense? Look, I, hey, uh, okay, I'm at Starbucks, okay, as I usually am. And I'm reading my Bible alone. Thank you very much. And, I, and I, my creep meter starts to go off. <laughs> And I feel a presence behind me, like someone standing in my airspace and looking at me. And sure enough, I slowly look up, and there he was, right there, staring a hole in my Bible. And he goes, Jesus was gay, and so were all the uh, disciples. And I look up, and I say, have we met? I thought that was the best approach. And clearly, we had not. (laughs) But I said to him, well, right away, you know, folks, if anything qualifies as a foolish or stupid argument, (laughs) did I not say anything? No, of course, I had to say something. (laughs) So I said, yes, and I know 25 men play on the baseball team. And you know what that means. They're all gay. I said. And then he walked away, slammed the door. Yeah. I, I, I should have done what the Bible says to do and just shut up. I, many times I see the Holy Spirit going like this, you know, and I go to get on. I feel like I have a shot collar on. It works. He's working on me, all right? So when you feel your pulse quickened and your face flushed, and things are getting personal. Things are deteriorating. You know, end the conversation. That's not helpful. He says, the, the Lord's servant has to be able to teach. And so you're no longer evangelizing, you're quarreling. 
And so there, there's nothing good about that. And the Lord tells us to, to not to do that. Well, how? Come on. How? I mean, how do you turn the other cheek? Someone just slapped you, you know? To call the Lord gay? I'm sorry, but that just makes me want to stand up and throw you to the ground. But <laughs> just speaking as a broken sinner, all right? I know you guys would do a lot better, but here, here's the answer. It's right here. So simple. You must gently instruct them in hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The plight of their soul outweighs any personal offense they can be sending my way. If I'm standing there and I look at somebody say something nasty and blasphemous like that, and I envision the devil or one of his little demons standing there looking at me, looking at him, and having this guy laughing his head off, right? And have his little talon or whatever they're called, you know, with his long, nasty claws tapping and looking at, look, look who I got. Look at my boy. He does what I want him to do. Isn't that right? You know? And the guy goes, yeah, that's right. The new teachers don't even believe that there is a devil, which is part of the devil's plan. If you can get me to believe that this person is perishing, and I don't care about me, I'm going to keep it kind because kindness is the atmosphere in which the lightning of heaven will most readily strike. See, when I'm angry and defensive and I'm stooping down and calling them names or, or, or innuendo or being sarcastic, which I'm the gift of that, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> then what happens? The walls come up. See, you've got to create the right atmosphere for God. It won't be your words anyway. It's God. Through kindness, what does Proverbs 15.1 say? Anyone? A gentle answer deflects anger, turns away wrath. And if you think we have to go around being little church mice, wrong. It's a warrior quality for you to be able to get in touch with the Holy Spirit. A gentle answer breaks a bone. Proverbs. Why? Everyone whose name is not found in the Lamb's book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I think I cannot be offended and get over myself and be kind and gentle and try to win them and woo them. And if I can't do that, just commit them to prayer and back away because they're in a world of hurt. Let me close with uh, the Beanie Baby story. I've used it before, but it's a good one. It's a, le- a life lesson the Lord taught me. About eight years ago, I was working for a college in the East Bay. And uh, one of my coworkers, a teacher there as well, um, hated Christians and hated pastors even more. 
And so she told me herself, look, look I w- wish that all bo- born again Christians would just die. It would be, the world would be a better place. And Ross, it's my mission here to make your time at this college miserable. And she did a pretty good job. <laughs> it was hard to work with her. And uh, one day I was home and Barb and I went to visit her dad, who at the time he was alive, and he was selling pianos at Sonoma Piano. And uh, with, they had, it was the late 90s, and they had Beanie Babies. And Beanie Babies were given away with pianos and things like that. Well, she collects, she told everybody, you know, she loved Beanie Babies, right? So I saw a black tarantula Beanie Baby. <laughs> And I said to Barb, would it be okay for me to take this to Nancy? Let's call her Nancy, because that was her name. Uh, (laughs) Can I take this to Nancy and just say, hey, listen, I I saw this black tarantula and I thought of you. (laughs) See, see, I'm, I'm needy. So Barb, Glowing as an angel, the halo came up and the angelic music started. She said, you ought to do something kind for her and get her one of those Beanie Babies, but not the black tarantula. <laughs> so I, there was a little wormy guy, a little baby wormy, and it was rainbow colored, and I thought, perfect. <laughs> so, stop. Oh, you guys are too much. So I got, I bought the worm. And I brought it in Monday morning. We had staff meeting, as always. And she sat next to me, and I was like, Lord, you're too much. So she's right there. I take the little worm out. I put it on the table, and I shove it at her with a smile. And she says, I've, I've got the mom. I've got the mom, and I've been looking all over the little baby. Uh, little baby. I thought they stopped making it, and I just love this, and just looked at me and went, thank Think, think, think. And I said to her, I go, Nancy, you can do this. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, take a deep breath. You know, she laughed. And I'll tell you what, we became friends. We became friends. She'd come up and put her arm around me. I said, hey, Nancy, I got a book about rainbows that you might like. And... uh, Sorry. (laughs) And she took the book, read it, underlined it, said, thank you very much, brought it back to me. We didn't really talk much about it. She said, thank you for that. And she was sad to see me go. That's a miracle of God, right? And what does it come down to? A wormy beanie baby? Come on, folks. What was it? It's one word. It's one word, kind. It unlocked her. It's like, you should not be kind to me. Who are you? Why would you be thinking of me? I make your life miserable here. Why would you do something nice for me and thoughtful? Now I am interested in your words. Now I'm interested in your words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we're broken, we're needy, and you have spoken a lot to me. I've received 
all your corrections, God, because your corrections bring life and healing. We want to be more like Christ and more effective for your glory and more helpful to those who have been taken captive by the evil one to do his will. That's not something we want to see happen to anybody. So help us be motivated by your word, Lord. Teach us these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what a great um, sermon message to be followed by communion. Amen? Amen. It's a time to reflect about containing some trash that needs to go and a time to change our hearts toward people who need us to be kind. Amen? So here's how it's going to work. You'll be served by the brothers. Hold the the emblems, of, as we call them, the bread and the cup. Hold them together until we worship one song, and then I'll come back and we'll take them together. All right, now, if you're not a member of the church, that's, that's fine as long as you know the Lord. You're welcome to. If your heart's been stirred and you're not really a Christian and you're thinking, hey, I, I wish I could, you can. Repent of your sins. I mean, it's before the, you have time before the tray gets to you. To say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. I repent. I don't have all the answers, but I know enough. I want to trust you. Then you can take communion with us as well. Then it'll mean something because you've given him your life. Amen. All right, brother, service and let's worship the Lord. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.